Amen. It's good to see everybody this morning. How y'all doing? My name is Matt Hawkins. I'm one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. I'm excited about the Threat Line series in the book of Hebrews. Before we jump in, I have a quick announcement to make, and I'm going to involve you in the announcement. Now, I'm going to say something, and if you agree with what I say, I need you to scream as loud as you possibly can. Now, if the person next to you doesn't like screaming, just let them know to put their hands over their ears. Now, I need you to help me. Do you agree? Are you going to help me? You promise? Now, you're in church now. You can't lie, all right? All right. I'm going to read something. If you personally agree, all you got to do is just scream, okay? If you believe in Jesus Christ and the power of his death on the cross over 2,000 years ago and the resurrection of the same Jesus on the third day, conquering Satan, sin, and death, I need you to scream right now. That's beautiful. That was the loudest some of you guys have ever screamed in church in your life. That's unfortunate. <laughs> exactly what you just did, according to, I believe, Psalm 107, the Bible says, let the redeemed, those who've been changed, say so. You've clearly said that you believe. I'm encouraging you, as you leave church today, as you leave this building to take one of these flyers, you have the awesome privilege to say so to your coworker, to the friend at school, to your neighbor, to share what you believe by simply inviting them to our Easter service in April. Can you guys do that? Oh, you're quiet now. You see how that happened? You see what just happened there? You were so loud at first. Now you're like, yeah, I guess so. Guess I can talk to my neighbor. Oh my gosh. You really expect us to do that in Phoenix? Talk to our neighbors? Oh my gosh. Yes, yes. Make sure you grab one of these. Only if you're not scared. Now, if you're scared, don't grab one. But if you're not scared, grab one of these and share it with someone because I personally believe that lives will be changed. And I'm only standing here because somebody had courage. Somebody say courage. courage. Somebody had courage to tell me about this living Savior when I was dying. Amen? Amen? Hallelujah. All right, Hebrews chapter 2 is where we will land today. Hebrews chapter 2, we will continue with our sermon series, Thread Lines. Pastor Caleb talked about the Word of God last week, and today, 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 we're going to talk about the taste of death. You can find that phrase, the taste of death, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. That's our main focus today, but we're going to read a few verses. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. If you need a Bible, there are some on the walls in the back. Don't be shy. You can definitely get up even now. It would also be, they will also be on the screen. The verses will also be on the screen or if you want to do something even more uh, forward-thinking and cool, you can open up the Bible app on your phone. We use what is called version. all right? Or you can just Google 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, and I promise you it will come up. I do it all the time. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 reads, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Y'all should have shouted right there. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name by my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. If you're looking on your phones or you're looking at the printed text, I'm going to continue to read. If you don't have it on the screens, don't worry. You can just listen, like old school, like we used to do when we go to the library. We used to listen. You can do that right now. Okay, I will tell you of your name, my brothers, says verse 12, verse 13, and again. I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Verse 14 and 15, this is huge. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Can everybody that can hear me say amen? amen. Hallelujah. In this context, in this chapter in Hebrews, we see the writer talking to Jesus' followers who were Jewish and they were struggling with their faith and their desire, their focus on Jesus. They were struggling because they were getting beat up. Figuratively speaking, and in many cases, literally speaking, they were getting abused. They were being persecuted. And the writer is basically telling them, don't forget where the power is. Starts in chapter 1 and says that Jesus is the supreme image of God. Matter of fact, if I can push it, he is God. Now, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, he says not only is he God, but we know that he is the God-man, that God left heaven, wrapped himself in flesh, came through a virgin called Mary for a specific reason. He wanted to taste death not just because it was cool, but ultimately so that he could save me and save you who believe from your terrible mistakes, also known as sin. Amen. That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, 
As I've said before, this message that we talked about last week and we're going to talk about again this week, this message is not said or proclaimed in a silent room. This message is proclaimed in a room where tons of other voices and tons of other messages are being proclaimed. In our world today, we not only hear about the creation of God and the fall of man and the redemption through Jesus Christ and the restoration through the blood, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and ultimately our salvation will equal out to Jesus returning and coming back for us, everybody doesn't necessarily believe that narrative. There's a conflicting narrative. There's something that goes against that. This postmodern ideology, this enlightenment ideology, post-enlightenment ideology that basically says to me and it says to you, and maybe I might dare say some of you are some strong believers in this particular belief, but I should say there's something else that's, that's very, very loud. This Western focus that says, if I feel like doing it, I will. If it benefits me, I will. If it benefits my bank account, I will. If it makes me look good, I will. If it's all about my kids or my relationships or, or what I want out of life, then I will do that. And some of us have gotten very sophisticated. We've gotten fancy and we've gotten spiritual in the Western world. And we've bought or purchased or borrowed a little piece of this and a little piece of that, a little piece of Buddha and a little piece of Muhammad and a little piece of holy Krishna and a little piece of Jesus because he was such a good guy and I love when people say what would Jesus do that just makes me feel good we just we just take a little piece of this and a little piece of that and I didn't come up with this idea Robert Bella in his book we've referenced this multiple times in his book habits of the heart he mentions this talks about a, a, a lady named Sheila Larson who came up with this idea of Sheilaism. Sheilaism, if you look on Wikipedia, it says Sheilaism is a shorthand term for an individual's system of religious belief which co-ops strands of multiple religions chosen by the individual, usually without much theological consideration, without any consideration of God, the real true God. The term derives from a woman named Sheila Larson who is quoted in saying I follow my little voice inside in a faith I call Sheilaism now I don't want to be disrespectful to any of you guys but here's the truth if we can be honest for a second we've all come up or concocted our own cocktails of Sheila-isms, John-isms, Sally-isms, or whatever your name is, just put ism after it. We've come up, especially Jesus followers, we've come up with our own versions of scripture that we feel like following today. And I am here to suggest to you that that is not what we see in scripture. That's not what we see in a biblical narrative. What we see 
in Scripture is that God created a wonderful environment. He created a wonderful world. He provided every single thing that Adam and Eve needed in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the first folks that were created according to the book of Genesis. First couple of chapters describe a beautiful environment. And then all of a sudden, really quickly, it's like you're setting up a beautiful table and then the humans have to come and mess everything up. It's like you just cleaned the house and everything has been put in its proper place. All the towels have been effectively folded. All of the shoes have been beautifully organized. All the dishes have been put up. There's nothing in the sink. And then all of a sudden, human beings, trifling, dirty human beings come along and they just ruin all of the efforts that you've put in place. I dramatized that a little bit, but if we can look in the text, we see that everything was going good and God clearly said to Adam and Eve, do not eat of this particular tree. But they said, you know what? Ain't nobody got time for obedience and doing what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Guys, if you can hear what I'm saying right now, that was the first act of sin. To look at God as if he doesn't know what's best for you. And we see in the text that immediately they were separated from God. What does it mean to sin? To be separated from God. Things shifted. They saw themselves differently. We know they saw themselves differently. That's what happens when sin comes into the room. They saw themselves differently and they began to put on garments. They began to sew up leaves and, and began to hide themselves. Shame showed up. You know, sin is in the building when there is shame. They became fearful. They became fearful of what would happen. And from that point on, we've had this problem known as sin. That's where Jesus comes in in this text. It clearly states that it was necessary for Jesus to come and to be the superhero, to save man from themselves, to transform our hearts. They tried to sacrifice animals in the Old Testament, in the first part of the Bible. They tried to sacrifice a bull, sacrifice a lamb, kill an animal, and tell God sorry. That was their way of apologizing. I'm sorry, Dad. They they, they, they knew that in order for sins to be forgiven, blood had to be shed. You would have to do that study in scripture, but that's what they believed. That in order for sins to be forgiven, blood had to be shed. So what did they do? They got some animals, they sacrificed them, and they say, God, I'm sorry. But here's the problem. Their heart hadn't changed. They would go back again, and they would have to say again, God, I'm sorry. Prophets came, priests came, rulers came, kings came, but nothing actually changed from the depths of their heart, from the inside out. Are y'all following me here? And then all of a sudden, we see throughout Scripture, if you want to talk about some beautiful, wonderful thread lines, we see in Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep, not just the folks back then that I'm describing in the Old Testament, but modern day times, all of us like sheep, Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all 
all to fall on him. My mama said it like this. When we started approaching adolescence, she would say, honey, talking to my dad, these boys are starting to smell themselves. What she meant by that was that we started to think that we didn't have to listen to them anymore. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says it like this. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Now, they're not talking about an iPad or an iPod or a cell phone. Many devices in this context is schemes or an alternative route. Now, I know all of you guys are saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire baptized. You don't smoke, drink, or chew, but for the rest of us who are in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. This verse speaks to us because at some point in life, maybe today or yesterday, we have all gone our own way. We've all gone astray. We've all gotten ourselves in tight spots. And what does this really mean? This means that we have sinned. It says in Romans 6, 23, when we sin, we are doing unrighteousness or we're going against God and the payment or the punishment for our sin says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sin is that which is opposed to God. It's anti-God. I know what the enemy, the great accuser, the devil, I know that's a swear word in church, but the devil is all about lies and making accusations and spreading more lies. And the great accuser, the devil, the evil one, the king of darkness wants us to believe that there is a such thing as a little sin or a little white lie or, <laughs> or a little disrespect towards God. But the Bible says that all sin is disobedience to God. God. It's all a smack in the face to God. When God says yes and you say no, that's bad. When God says go and you say no, that's bad. You can see in the life of Jonah. You can see in the life of David, but you don't have to look that far. You can see even in your own life, in your own heart. I don't know if you guys have ever been like me, but I have sinned. Wow. Imagine that. It's crazy to imagine that. But thanks be to God that we don't have to be defined by our past, our present, and even our future. Thanks be to God we don't have to look like what we've been through. In the Bible, it says, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Well, preacher, I'm hearing what you're saying, bro, but I'm not seeing where it's connected to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 where it says that he tasted death I'm trying to tell you John 15 13 Jesus says greater love has no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends who is he talking about he's talking about himself 
I believe, I don't know about you guys, but I believe that Jesus decided to leave his holy and happy and beautiful and awesome and comfortable place in heaven to come down to an uncomfortable, dirty, filthy, disgusting place called earth in order to wrap himself in human flesh, come through a virgin called Mary that we can see in the Nicene Creed. And I believe that he actually not only came through a virgin Mary, but he grew up to a grown man only so he could die. If you look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, you will see very clearly explained that the reason why he came was to die. I don't know if we have any firefighters in the house, but just like the firefighter goes into the burning building when everybody else is trying to get out, just like he or she going into this burning building in order to save those who cannot save themselves. Jesus came down to earth to save, to rescue those who could not save themselves. And I know some of you guys in here have been saved all your lives, but that shouts me, that makes something inside of me kind of leap a little bit. It might actually come out of my mouth into a yes, or into a thank you Jesus, or into a hallelujah. I know it's being held back right now by some of you, but I invite you to let it out and just let God know that you are grateful for the fact that he saw you Ephesians chapter 2 clearly says while you were in your sins not living not floating in your sins like a little fishy fish but you were dead in your sins I know that doesn't sound fun I know you think you had a little life in you but scripture says something totally different you can read it for yourself in Ephesians chapter 2 it clearly says you were dead you weren't drowning in the pool you were dead at the bottom of the pool it was over it was finished you were ruined you were lost it was done and I have to put the emphasis there because some of y'all think that it was a part of your own ability that got you where you are today but that's not what the Bible says the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 for by grace have you been saved through faith not of yourselves it is a gift of God it's like my little kid at Christmas coming to me and saying thanks dad for going to get my toys that I paid for from Toys R Us thanks dad for doing my work for me thanks dad for getting my money out of my bank account and going to my store called Toys R Us and bringing my gifts home under my tree under my house's roof thanks dad for doing what I told you to do that's kind of how we act but we know that that's not the truth because it was unmerited favor we didn't do anything to deserve it you weren't cute enough your bank account wasn't big enough your makeup wasn't awesome enough your smarts wasn't high enough it was because of Jesus and his love for you and he chose the Bible says to take on the penalty the payment the punishment of your lies of your lust 
of your sin, of your embarrassing secret that you don't want anybody to know. My embarrassing secrets that I don't want anybody to know. He chose to take credit for that and he chose to die. Now, before I go any further, I have to tell you a story because some of you guys can only pay attention when there are stories told. So let me tell you a good, wonderful story. I love stories. I love when the preacher tells stories, so I'm going to put one in here right now. When I was a kid, Rachel Hawkins, Timothy Hawkins, they were my parents, still are today. God be praised. I was the youngest of two older brothers. They had three boys. Mom and daddy, God bless their heart, had two older brothers. And I had just just a little privilege of being younger brother, you know, three beautiful boys. And around adolescence, as we all started getting up to that point, mama and daddy had an issue with us. We liked to lie. We liked to say that we didn't do it when we really did do it. Well, on this particular day, I know this is going to sound ridiculous. It's going to blow your mind, but we were getting in trouble. I know it's still ridiculous to me today. We were getting in trouble because of fish sticks. Yes, fish sticks. My mama was frustrated because my dad was coming home from work and there were no fish sticks left for him. And clearly somebody ate all of the fish sticks. At that particular time, if I can paint the picture just a little bit more, there's three boys, us, me, my two older brothers, and then my oldest brother's friends were there. Ain't nobody fessing up to who ate the fish sticks. And my mother's frustration level just continued to escalate so much so that she did the worst thing she could ever do. She picked up the phone, old school. It had a cord connected to it. She called my father and she said, honey, I prepared this food for you, but some of these boys, they ain't telling me the truth. Some of these boys then ate these fish sticks and I need you to get home right away to straighten this out. Now, when she said the word straighten this out, something started to happen in our stomach, y'all, because that means that we were about to get in serious trouble. My dad and his military mind came home and said, everybody in PT, that means physical training. That means he's going to punish us up down, push-ups, sit-ups, jumping jacks. We're ready to throw up all those things. And then after all of that punishment that we could not bear, I'm going somewhere, eventually there's an inch of wood that, that had a handle connected to it that he would use. I'm not going to get R-rated here, but he would use that piece of wood to do something to us to discourage us from ever lying again. Is there an amen right there? So as this is going on, we got judge and jury, mom and dad staring at these five boys. Two are total strangers to this entire experience. They don't know what is about to go down. And then the three of us are scared. We are worried, overwhelmed. And in that moment, my brother and my sister, young man, old man, I'm here to tell you, the greatest thing happened. It was beautiful. It was epic. It was like a Disney Channel moment. As soon as my dad began to move his lips to start this physical training, this burdensome thing that I could not endure, my oldest brother, this is a true story, my oldest brother said, Dad, I ate the fish sticks. Guys, I felt like Jesus came back. 
I felt like the heavens opened up and a, a bright light shined in our living room as if God said, in this house, there will be no whooping. He's getting it, nobody else. He's getting it, nobody else. I was excited. And just like my oldest brother spoke up for everybody, knowing that his two friends had no idea what was about to go on, and his two little brothers could not endure what was about to go on, he took the punishment that we all deserved because nobody would fess up. Jesus takes the punishment that all of you deserve, that we all deserve, and he takes the punishment on the cross. If I can preach for a moment, Isaiah says, talking about thread lines, he was wounded for our transgressions. What does that mean? They put nails in my older brother's hands, and they put nails in his feet. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Y'all should be shouting right now but I know you're really thinking then at the end of it all when he's literally dying of exhaustion they stab him they pierce him in his side and the Bible says out comes blood and water literally showing us that not only is he God but he's fully man and he tastes death not because it was cool not because it was fun not because he was looking forward to it, but because we needed it. Just like my older brother did on a tiny, tiny miniature scale, Jesus Christ did it on a massive scale. What does that mean for you today? Well, in this text, it is really clear. It says, but we see him who for a little while chose to make himself lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Now that is offensive. That part of the scripture is offensive because if he's truly Jesus, if I'm Jewish at that particular time, I'm hoping that we get a ruler and a king that's going to come with an escalade and some rims and, 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 and paparazzi and, 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 and a nice robe and a nice crown and, and, and you know, just, just a, a top pedigree, great college, maybe Harvard grad, somebody who comes from wealth so he can spread some money somebody to actually look the way we want him to look but this is offensive because not only is Jesus choosing to come in a very humble very lowly way but he chooses to die one of the most disgusting deaths that you could ever die talk about a crowned savior sounds like an oxymoron sounds like it's juxtaposed to oppose. Sounds like it's totally against itself. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. How is he a king, but he's being crucified? This is the way that he chose to do it. Why? Because he wanted you and he wanted me to know that he feels everything that we have ever felt and he's endured everything that we have ever endured and he suffered everything that we have suffered and more I don't know about you but the life of Jesus is encouraging to me I didn't make this up it says in verse 14 since therefore the children share in flesh and blood he chose likewise to partake of the same things through death 
death. He might destroy the one who has the power of death. Not only did he come to feel what we felt, but the only way that a God can die is to become a man. If he becomes a man, then it's possible for him to die. The entire reason for him coming, so he could die. And die he did. Experience death he did. But not only did his death give us a clear view that he experiences what, he, what we have experienced, but he came to die so that he could defeat where death comes from. Y'all should have shouted right there. That was a big point. The, the scripture clearly says that he overcame the devil and he overcame everything that the devil is about. He overcame he overcame death and death did not swallow him the text teaches us that he consumed death that's a big point I know you're not getting it but I'm gonna try to push it so you can get it he consumes death and you can see that he consumes death in John chapter 19 verse 30 when he said at the end of all the abuse after they whipped him after they spit on him after they abused him after all of that was done he decided that it was time for him to die the Bible says that he gave up the ghost. He said, it is finished. I felt that. That was, that was a delivering moment right there because what he finished on the cross was not just the dying part, but he finished the sin enslaving me part. He conquered not only death in that moment, but he conquered the payment. He conquered all of it. And after they take his dead body off of the cross, they put him inside of a grave three days and three nights and then early Sunday morning, getting out of the grave, not as a ghost, but as a physical being, 100% God, 100% man, the Bible says with all power in his hands. Well, that's exciting, that's great news. I just shouted right there, man, but I don't really comprehend what that has to do with my life right now. I'm here to tell you just two things, and then I'm gonna get out of here. Number one, when Jesus tastes death, experiences death, what that means for you is you no longer have to be afraid of it. You don't have to fear death. I know some of you guys feel like death is swiftly approaching, and some of you guys are so naive that you don't feel like it's ever going to come. But the fact of the matter is, all of us at some point will transition from this life to the next. And as my dad always says, if you are a true Jesus follower, this is not a terminus, but a terminal. This is an opportunity for you to pass through and to live a greater, more fruitful life in heaven. I know we don't talk about that all the time, but I just shout it right there because I absolutely believe what scripture says, that one of these old days, it won't be very long. You'll look for me and I will be gone. I can't speak for you. I can't believe in Jesus for you. I can only introduce you to him. Whether you 
believe in him or not, this is your opportunity to wrap your mind around this simple fact that you no longer have to be afraid of death and you don't have to walk into your job, walk into your school, walk into your neighborhood fearful and depressed and down and overwhelmed because you truly believe that when he resurrected from the grave, he overcame all of it. You don't have to try to navigate yourself in your lot in life to try to make people feel good or like you or appreciate you or pat you on the back, whether they do or whether they don't. You've already been justified, the Bible says. You have a new position. You're no longer loser. Now you are winner. This isn't self-help. Self-help means that you're able to do it for yourself. I already told you in Ephesians chapter 2, he did it for you. And because he did it for you, you don't have to be enslaved, the text says, by fear in death. Now the next part that you should shout on, and I give you this opportunity, is very, very simple. As you're walking through your life, remember that your identity is not in what you can produce, but your identity is what he has done for you. And so that gives you a greater level of confidence, that gives you a greater level of fervor, that gives you a new, deeper approach when you're looking at the numbers, when you're trying to pass algebra, when you're trying to raise your kids. That gives you the energy and the power that is not innate in your own flesh and blood, but because he took it on for you and now Jesus is inside of you, you have a well that will never run dry. You have energy for the, the, the vicissitudes, the, the ups and downs of life, the issues of life. You have energy to face all of the ups and downs of life. So my clear, simple encouragement to you is let not your heart be troubled Jesus said it you believe in God believe also in me Jesus said it in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so I would have told you we don't talk about this enough but Jesus said it so I'm gonna say it I go Jesus said to prepare a place for you and where I am the goal is you will be there also that's shouting good news that's exciting and that gives me what I need for today it gives me what I need for Monday that's the only thing that's motivating enough to get me from Monday to Tuesday and thereafter. Thanks be to God that he sent his son Jesus to taste death, to experience death so that we didn't have to.